Welcome to Mintcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 392, recorded on Sunday the 24th of July 2022. Enjoying a much-deserved long weekend, I'm Bill. It's still too dang hot for a third week in a row. I'm Joe. Biting off my cats, I'm Moss. Returning from sabbatical, I'm Josh T. And, and the guest, we are jo- I'm Tom. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're joined by our special guest. Uh, a keen eye on the uh, YouTube channel might uh, notice that we've got uh, Tom Muroski. Did I say that? Did I say that right? It's Muroski. But Murawski. everyone gets it wrong anyway, so it's okay. Uh, most of you might recognize him from the uh, from his show, Switch to Linux. Uh, he's here to uh, help us dredge through this show today. We appreciate that. Again, welcome, Tom. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, first up in the news, Vanessa is almost here. XFE, XFCE flirts with Wayland. Gnome is touching up the touchscreen experience. And Star protects data from on Bray's Star protects data on Brave browsers. In security and privacy, the red the ret bleed speculative exploit is more than just speculation, but the kernel team already have a fix. And lightning framework flashes our way. Then in our wanderings, Bill is back from Pennsylvania again and again. Norbert polishes his laptop. Moss is doing the Makulu shift. Joe is working the mods, Josh T is fixing watches, and Tom is channeling. And we hope Norbert makes it. And we're going to have more from Tom in our uh, entered section, and finally, of the feedback and a couple of suggestions. You can tell that uh, Norbert wrote that uh, intro section there. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, screams his his, uh, creativity uh, signature. Now for the news. Okay, first up in the news, Linux Mint 21 Vanessa beta release. This is from Foronix. In addition to the new Cinnamon 5.4 desktop being available and the new updated versions of many packages from upstream Ubuntu 22.04 LTS, some of the other Linux Mint changes with this release include replacing Blue Man with Blueberry for Bluetooth handling. I have high hopes on that. A new XApp thumbnails component for handling WebP, App Image, EPUB, MP3, and RAW file types. A process monitor was added to report automated updates and system snapshots in the background. Artwork and styling improvements and improvements to the X apps programs themselves. <clears throat> but yeah, the Blue Man Blueberry Blueberry is better. It, it, I mean, it's not. It's definitely still not great, but it's better than Blue Man and offers more functionality. But um, I don't know if. Bluetooth will ever work really well in Linux. Are you yeah, guys just, using anything on Bluetooth on desktop Linux? I don't have anything Not on Bluetooth. For any but I was gonna say, this is a supposedly a little more complex app, so I, I'm not sure if that's going to have an impact, you know, with Linux Mint and kind of their uh, ethos of being easy to use. Well, you can go in and change some of the sleep settings, and that helps. Um, 
helps your devices not disconnect and so then they don't have to reconnect which yeah, is so helpful considering yeah, it simpler yeah considering that's where most of your bluetooth devices fail is when they go to sleep wake back up and try to reconnect to the bluetooth on your computer um last week i was i I was gonna say last week i was using uh, a bluetooth speaker from uh, lg i think it's like an x boom with uh linux mint uh 20 i think it's 20.3 or 20.2 and it had zero problems at all i was actually shocked how easy it worked that's good that's good i don't use bluetooth I have a I have a multitude of like um, what sixty um, percent keyboards, and they work great when I first connect, and they might even work through uh, one disconnection and one reconnection. But usually, second or third, I, it just won't connect, or it will partially connect, and then I'll press a button, and it'll decide that I'm holding the key down, and line after line of that same key. So. So maybe a little bit more difficult in terms of interface, but more stability just kind of washes. Well, as you may remember, Joe sent me some Bluetooth headsets a while back, and they work great on my phone, which uh, technically is Linux, but not actually. And I just never seem to get get them to work right and keep working uh, on, on Mint or Linux of any kind. I try a lot of Linuxes, as you all know. The only thing I use Bluetooth on now that I think about it is a uh, Logitech, one of those uh, trackball mice I use on my Omen upstairs. The thing about that is when you got to wake it back up, it takes a second. You got to wiggle the the ball, and, and it doesn't like respond right away. But after a second or so, yeah, I got I got one of these down here with. The, oh, oh, you got the the Microsoft one? Oh no, the Logitech one. This, this is this got the platform that. Yeah, I have one of those. That's like a $120 um, mouse. Yeah, and it's this not is cheap. like a $40 mouse from Jellycomb. And it. the only thing it doesn't have is the adjustable bottom, but I 3D printed one. That's cool. Yeah, I've got a Jellycomb on one of my computers. And uh, I love I, these it, things. It and works either Bluetooth or exactly. uh, Wi Fi. And I usually just use it Wi Fi. Like this one um, has the 2.4 gigahertz module, which works great. That's just what like I any use. other module like that. But it can do Bluetooth. But yeah. I just, it's great for hooking, like using with an Android tablet or something. But it's just not something that I would want to trust to connect to a Linux machine. Yeah. I find the Jellycone trackball is a little bit loose compared to a Logitech. Uh, it sometimes is. does get in the way. Especially as it ages, as it gets a little bit older, it loses that little bit of precision and you have some trouble really dialing in the the spots you're getting to. Okay, uh, enough of, of, uh, about, you know, mice. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the article, just we the did, Bluetooth. We did. Well, that, that was the part of it that I found interesting. I mean... Hi, to be fair, or, or well, to be clear, is this is this the back end and the front end being updated, or is this just a fr- another front end for the Blue Man? Well, yeah, um, Blue Man is gone. Well, Blue Man and Blueberry are different applications. I mean, Blueberry, as far as I know, is not a front end for Blue Man. It's its entire own thing. So yeah. it's got its own system D services and everything that have to run. I assume. Oh, oh moving right. on. What? 
Well, I was going to uh, say, uh, Tom reviewed this uh, already on his channel, but is there anything that struck you really that stood out um, other than the Bluetooth? Huh? Yeah, I mean, I the one thing that I have had problems with on Linux Mint in the past, uh, particularly doing as much video and uh, imagery that I do, is the thumbnails uh, uh, caching in and for whatever reason, some of the systems work, some of them don't. And the new one just worked flawlessly, even on a VM, which was quite incredible. Yeah, I remember seeing that on your video and just how fast it went. It was really impressive. It looks like a, a really nice upgrade there. Yeah, and that was going from an external hard drive, passed through the machine into the VM, dropping video files onto the desktop, and it worked flawlessly. Beautiful. The one thing I'm worried about is whether Grub Customizer still works in Mint, because if it goes away because of the 2204 base, then uh, it's going to be vanishing, and it's one of the more useful tools that for can be fixed us, for us multi-users, you know, multi-booters. That can be fixed. It's just what are they doing? They're just getting rid of OS Prober, right? Or they're adding that line in the Grub config to disable OS nope, Prober? They totally deprecated all of Grub Customizer. They just went, bye-bye. We're not going to work on that library. Nobody is working on that library. We don't need it anymore. I think somebody's going to keep that working somewhere. That's that's what I choose to believe because that's, that's like the one thing everybody uses. Yeah, we're seeing because, more more distros though coming out with SysLinux instead. So, you know, in in some places we're starting to see a degradation of Grub. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think one way or the other we'll be able to figure out a way to keep it going. Um anyway, we ready to move on from that? Do it. Right on. XFCE's window manager sees Wayland port based on WL roots. This is from Pharonix. Deve developer Adlo announced to Wayland developers today the work on porting XFCE's XFWM4 window manager code to Wayland and this new XFWay compositor, that's not what I would have thought they'd have chose to call it, is being brought up using the WL Roots library that is becoming increasingly common among the smaller Wayland compositors. A WL Roots-based XFCE XFWM4 port is in the works and making good progress, but with known limitations. There are feature regressions compared to an alternative uh, Lib Weston-based port. Upstream XFCE 4.18 is eyeing Wayland application support, but a full transition transition of this lightweight GTK-based desktop will likely take a while. The XFCE wiki outlines these plans for trying to ensure XFCE applications at least run on Wayland nicely under, say, the Weston compositor, but not a complete Wayland port of XFCE in its entirely, entirety. That release engineering page notes... It is not clear yet which XFCE release will target a complete XFCE Wayland transition or if such a transition will happen at all. Well, that's amazing that we're even talking about this, honestly. Yeah, XFCE and Wayland. <laughs> because it's not even a complete story on Plasma yet, and we're talking about it on XFCE. I was starting to worry about that, actually. We're not really worried, but I wanted XFCE to stay alive. I thought that that would break the 
acronym for the name actually if if it had Wayland support but uh WFCE yeah but that doesn't really that doesn't really roll off the tongue quite as well I don't think well um, the other letters in in the term have gone away too because it's not uh based on the X file system or the common uh environment so yeah we can always just go with just way, rename the whole thing and just go with wayface I was just going to say crossface. There you go. Yeah, wayface, yeah, that's good. Face but yeah, off. that's I mean the fact that, you know, we can get anything working in it at all is is positive in my mind. I mean, gosh, it's they're not known for being completely up to date. They're known for having I don't want to say a minimum viable product, but it is just the one desktop that you can I've always called it kind of a lightweight gnome, but uh, it's it's. I think it's a little bit more than that. It's ideal for somebody that wants the classic um, desktop paradigm that they got used to twenty years ago. I'm wondering if uh, we've heard anything from Martin Wimpress on whether they're bringing Whalen to Mate. I can almost guarantee that, but I of course I have no data to back that up. I think it's inevitable. Because they are switching from, yeah, they're switching from, I just thought of that, they're switching from Muffin to Mutter over there. I just heard, and I don't remember where I heard that from, but that was that was something they just announced recently. So that's, I mean, that's no doubt going to make it more compatible with uh, with Wayland on the back end. But I would have, I would have, my money would have been more on Mate transitioning over to Wayland before XFCE. Yeah, E has been on Wayland since uh, version 20, or literally 0.20. Uh, but I know that Bodhi hasn't even done anything other than backporting, and they're not even thinking about Wayland at this time. Well, X isn't going anywhere anytime soon, so it's not like we're just going to be left out in the cold in even the near future, because I think, well, Canonical is supporting some of their older versions of, of the ubuntu proper for 10 years and that means they have to maintain xord for those so i don't think we have to really worry about whether or not these yeah x will get you know phased out in the same way 32-bit got phased out it just took forever but eventually it happened so it'll just become one of those things that still exists but nobody's actually doing anything to innovate on it well, X has been around since 8-bit, so I don't know if it'll ever get phased out. <laughs> yeah. So you, you'll ever find it on Debian, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay. So we have Gnome Shell 43 and Mutter 43 alphas have been released. This is also from Pharonix. In gearing up for the Gnome 43 alpha release coming out soon, this weekend marked the release of the new alpha versions of Gnome Shell and Mutter. For the 43.alpha state, the GNOME shell and mutter changes aren't too great in terms of shiny new features, but there are a lot of fixes and other refinements. Some of the changes for the new GNOME shell and mutter alpha releases are outlined below. GNOME 43 alpha brings improving GNOME shell's high contrast CSS style sheet, showing of WireGuard connections in the VPN list, fixing on-screen keyboard gestures, Focus tracking has been fixed for the magnifier tool on Wayland. Mirroring GTK's API in GNOME Shell for a convenience property for icon-only buttons. 
memory leak fixes, and a variety of other fixes. More details on the GNOME 43 Alpha changes via this commit. GNOME Mutter 43 Alpha int introduces direct scan-out handling improvements, removal of obsolete Wayland protocols, nightlight handling fixes, fixing init initialization of privacy mode for supported displays, support for HDR and colorimetry, CTA-861-EDID extension blocks. Parsing the HDR extension block is important for the long-going quest of proper HDR support on the Linux desktop. Various crash fixes as well as memory leak fixes. More details on the GNOME Mutter 43 Alpha changes via this commit. The GNOME 43 Alpha release will be out soon, while the GNOME 43 Beta is coming in early August that will mark the UI and feature freeze along with the API slash ABI freeze. The GNOME 43 release candidate in turn will come in early September and the GNOME 43 stable release is expected to happen on 21 of September. And everyone can always check show notes for links. Yes, there was a lot there. Any GNOME users? <laughs> no. <laughs> Only when I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm fixing somebody else's computer. <laughs> Norbert, where are you when we need you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I was using it on Arch on my go on the road laptop, but I just got, I couldn't take any more. And so I went back to XFCE. So there you go. I think I used it on Fedora for a little while, but that was just like for the show to test I just it get, out. I find it, well, I don't know. I've, I find the attitude of their, some of their developers a little off-putting. And I don't know. They've got their own culture and their own way of doing things. And Now, to be, the other strange thing, though, is that when I put Linux on one of my kids' computers, and I give them, I don't know, like Mate or something. And well, how do I do that? They're bringing it downstairs to me. Where do I find this? Where do I find that? I give them GNOME, and they get on with it just fine. You know, weeks go by, and I ask them, how you doing with that? Oh, yeah, it works great. So, yeah. I think that's GNOME kind of a testament well, to what their vision is, you know, in a more touch-friendly style you know, interface that, that more familiar. It, yeah. I think. Sorry, Tom. You. I guess it's like that one Mercedes Benz that they released that had just a joystick to drive it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the um, as I've talked to some of the younger viewers on my show, th what I've learned is that uh, you know older folks do not like GNOME, but the younger people really do because it matches the intuitive interface that they've grown up with on tablets and on phones, and so it makes sense that it it is easier for them to understand, uh, and that's one of the powers of Linux where you can have a variety of uh, different yeah. desktop yeah. environments to see, suit your needs. Your older people tend to do better with either Cinnamon or XFCE or LXQT or something to something more XP-like. Correct. Correct. Well, let's look at another uh, side project. Uh, <laughs> Star, Prote Star protects browser data on Brave. From the Brave.com website, Researchers at Brave have developed STAR, a system that allows users to participate in private data collection under cryptographic guarantees that their data will be readable only if other users have contributed the exact same values. Such systems are important for performing privacy-protecting, web-scale measurements of software, sometimes referred to as analytics or telemetry. 
STAR's main goals are to provide strong privacy guarantees while still being usable and affordable for small to medium-sized companies. Existing systems are extremely expensive to deploy, making them unusable for all but the largest companies, require trusted third parties or special hardware, and or require millions of users to achieve useful results. STAR, by contrast, provides privacy guarantees similar to or better than existing systems while being practical and affordable for projects and organizations serving anywhere from dozens to millions of users. The STAR system will be presented at the 2022 ACM Conference on Computer and Communications Security, CCS, in Los Angeles, and is being discussed for possible standardization in the IETF. STAR is available in an open-source Rust implementation and will be used to protect user privacy in many current and future Brave products. Anybody use Brave? Uh, Occasionally I do. Yeah. And, uh, Tom, I think you touched on this, too, and you compared it to Flock a little bit, right? The way I was reading the initials, I've not had a chance to go through and read the whole research paper yet, but it sounded fairly similar. Um, I still have concerns about this, and one of my big concerns is that um, it's going eventually right now it's like opt-in only eventually they're going to toggle that switch when nobody's expecting it and everyone's data is going to be contributed and all this data is going somewhere and the question is who has access to that somewhere is that secure server secured there's a lot of other questions and i would just rather live in a world where we don't have to have all this because you know i'm i'm old enough to know that computers worked just as fine if not better certainly no worse when we weren't collecting mass data on things and people did bug reports because right now we're just getting a dragnet of data under the auspices of improving the software however we're not really seeing that many improvements but we are seeing data leaks we're seeing inappropriate people accessing such data and I think there's bigger concerns with this um, than uh, what they're really reporting on the surface yeah. it's, it's, it's not hard to imagine that most of the improvements as you say is probably just uh, stuff on the back end to improve their ability to collect the data and harvest it and uh, put it together in a way that can turn a better profit for them and that's I mean that's uh, my my biggest problem with Brave has always been from the beginning that it's based on a Chromium code base, which I don't care if Chromium is open source or not. To make it work, you need you need Google's APIs and all that. So you know you're just you're still giving information to Google, and yeah, like you said, things things can work just fine without that. Would you pay? Here here's a question: Would you pay for a browser? that uh worked as well as chrome did but didn't harvest your data you know that's an interesting uh point and i'd, I'd like to point out that um bad voltage in our last episode yeah covered i was this gonna bring that up detail. too yeah they, they went in full and uh, brave and kind of their business model and how it just doesn't make sense right now so i think a subscription might be a better option than doing the data collection yeah, it's i was just, gonna ask um either I don't know if I would do a subscription because I don't like the whole monthly fees thing. But if it was no, like a, a lifetime pet, oh, you love the monthlies. You love the <laughs> I was monthlies. Wondering if I was going to get away with month. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the monthlies because I can decide to change my mind about supporting a project. But you know, a lifetime pass. Yeah, yeah. Usually, you're saving money in the end anyway. So. Yeah, it's just if you're willing to fork up, you know, the entire. 
to give the fee up front because lifetime's obviously going to be a little more expensive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to watch and see how Brave continues on. I'll admit that they do have to any any company that's going to offer a product like Brave does is going to they're always going to have to be creative with the methods by which they uh, get revenue out of people. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. I myself don't use it for, I use Firefox and I got Chrome for the things that Firefox just can't do very well. And then instead of using Brave, I use a Firefox base called LibreWolf, which is, as far as I know, that's flat pack only. I'm not sure if there's a snap for that or not. Alphabet owns my soul at this point. There's, um, as far as LibreWolf, you can actually get the code base and uh, just, you know, uh, just yeah. extract it onto your, you know, onto your system and run it directly. That's actually how I ran it. I was, I've been running LibreWolf for, I don't know, two or three years, even before the flat pack came out. Um, and that's kind of how you did it. But yeah, I think they have a flat pack. I don't think they have a snap. Uh, I think they may have an app image, but I can't remember for sure. The thing about that flat pack is that they, when you install it that way, they use a full, uh, siloed off, containerized method of installing it to where you have to if you want to have access to your downloads folder you got to go into flat seal and enable that uh isn't otherwise. it funny that other than brave and vivaldi all the privacy-based browsers are are forked from firefox well i mean that's obvious right i, I just I mean, want to mention that uh uber micro repairs on the youtube agrees with me when it comes to the whole monthly payments thing agrees with what Against me or uh, against yeah, pay for support. Monthly is a killer in this day and age. Everything saps the paycheck. So yeah, that whole one-time payment thing. Yeah, the I, lifetime. I don't like. I hate the monthly subscription models. I exactly. simply don't participate. But I don't mind as much yearly because I can look pay the year and then decide do I want to up it another year, um, you know. And I do that with my cell phone. Um, with Mint Mobile, um, I pay one time a year. I pay $180 a year, and I don't have to think about my phone for a whole year. And it, so, Man. which is really good if you do need that a is service. Cheap, dude. It's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> La- yeah that's- Last show we covered this. You really should have been on then because we, we had a whole discussion on it, and Bill just had this massive list of things that he pays for I on a was- monthly basis. I hadn't actually. Yeah, me too. Well, part part of my problem is I have been I have spent so much time in my life being flat broke, and the only way you can afford payments is small payments every month, even if it's going to cost you more than a yearly thing, because you just can't get a hundred, two hundred dollars together to get one of these annual subscriptions of certain things. Well, you you can't if you plan ahead. That's the thing. You yeah. can if you plan ahead. And and if you do plan ahead and figure out how to pull that off and how to do that, it's going to leave you in a better position in the long run. Because otherwise you're bleeding out and bleeding out and bleeding out and bleeding out out in Fintium. And there comes a point in time when you got to stop and be like, okay, I got to rein in some of this in. And that's how you do it is by planning ahead. Well, until my mother died a year and a half ago, I never had enough money to plan ahead. It was very literally day to day that I was hoping to have enough money. And I so. just want to say it's uh, it's funny. The irony here is that you remember if we think back to the cable model, we were all clamoring for a la carte. And now we have a la carte and it's all kind of reversing back in on itself where you're getting We have a strange <laughs> version of a la carte because I've heard that analogy before. 
and it's not quite what we were asking for at the time. But oh, yeah, you got that right. Yeah. Um, we, we, what I we like is asking, a monthly. Look, cable had TiVo, but that was about it. But we were asking to be able to watch things when we wanted to watch things. And we were asking to not have to pay for 100 channels that we never watched. Correct. Yeah. Well, we're still paying for 100 channels that we never watch. You sign up for Disney Plus with Hulu and you're getting you ESPN. And, <laughs> and the, the fun thing is you still have to log in on a different site for Hulu that uses different software, uh, even though you're paying Disney for it. And if you notice, we're um, getting uh, yeah, you we're know, increased uh, pri yes, price creep, too. I mean, you think uh, YouTube TV started at $35 a month. I think now it's at like 60 or 65 Netflix continues to go up. You know, with yeah, their Netflix original started content. out at like, what, 9? And then now it's yeah. at like 14 or something, 16? Yeah, 50, a little over 15. Yeah, I looked at YouTube TV and I said, hell no. <laughs> YouTube TV was on its way to being something good. And then they got rid of all of their, you know... Uh, in-house content and yeah yeah it's uh they, they're starting to integrate all those channels that nobody wanted to begin with the reason that we were trying to cut the cord and now they've folded all that back in and you know increased the price i would probably Bill, use it if it wasn't 50 bucks drop a marker and move on <laughs> drop a marker well, yeah. let's make this another oh, yeah, energy one of these days um okay so yeah let's move on to security and privacy <laughs> All right. Yeah. In security and privacy, Replead is a newly disclosed speculative execution attack. This is also from Foronix. Primarily affects Linux, impacts AMD, Zen 1, 1 Plus, and 2, and Intel 6th through 8th gen. Replead exploits return instructions and is able to undermine existing defenses against Spectre Branch Target Injection, or BTI. Once again, this was written by Norbert. And there's no way he could have read this. In particular, <laughs> Replead can beat existing return trampolines, retpolines, defenses, even though when devised just four years ago, the belief was that returns weren't susceptible to impractical to BTI attacks. Replead now proves that return instructions can be practically exploited. I need to defend Norbert. Norbert did not write that. That is straight out of the Foronix uh, uh, article. Okay. And this is a quote. A retpoline is a return trampoline that uses an infinite loop that is never executed to prevent the CPU from speculating on the target of an indirect jump. And that's from Tobias Ribizel from Stack Overflow. This does come with added performance cost from the disclosure. Mitigating rep lead in the Linux kernel required a substantial effort involving changes to 68 files, 1,783 new lines, and 387 removed lines. Our performance evaluation shows that mitigating rep lead has unfortunately turned out to be expensive. We have measured between 14 and 39% overhead with the AMD and Intel patches, respectively. Ouch. Well... Yeah, basically all of the fixes that have come in for all of these things over the last, what, five, six years have just had massive cost. 
Intel's statement on the matter. Intel worked with our industry mitigation partners, the Linux community, and VMM vendors to make mitigations available to customers. Windows systems are not affected as they already have these mitigations by default. They also went on to add that they take these issues very seriously, but don't believe RepLead is practical outside of a lab environment. If it's not practical outside of a lab environment, I'm not applying the fixes. Right. Why well, hammer your performance if it's isolated right. it, to that degree? It's like all of those uh, exploits where, you know, you had to be hands-on with the hardware. Why, why would I bork my system and, and make it so much slower when all I have to do is physically protect my system? Right, yeah, it's different if it's, um, you know, something that can be done over net. Yeah, if it's a remote access, then yeah, that's something else. There's never going to be a substitution, a reasonable substitution, for learning how to conduct yourself online. Good for learning hygiene. how to, good internet hygiene. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous to just assume that just because you're, in your own home and you've got this machine running, you're connected to the internet, you can just do whatever you want to do and you can be safe because you're behind a, the locked door of your house. It's, it's unreasonable thinking, but unfortunately there's enough people out there that are not quite enough aware of how to properly conduct themselves or they, they leave their safety completely up to antivirus software and things like that. Oh, you need and some VPN, Bill. That's it. You're good to oh, go. Oh, yeah, right. There you Completely go. Completely anonymized. And I, and I do, I have friends that that I talk to all the time, That and they, these VPN providers are putting commercials out there, and they make they sell their product based on the idea that well, you, if you, you have this thing running, you're safe. And You know my opinion on VPNs. It's, it's just passing the trust. Granted, there are I, some out there that, you know, have a proven reputation of not recording your data and not being able to give the y y your data the court systems or anything like that. That's mostly trustworthy, in my opinion. And, you know, nothing's perfect, but you got to ask yourself who you trust. You definitely don't trust the open Wi-Fi at Starbucks, but you can at least somewhat more trust the VPN that you're using. I would say VPN is probably a good idea if you're on a public Wi-Fi, if you're going to be sending your financial credentials. If you're going to be doing I anything would... on a public Wi-Fi, you need to be using a VPN. If you're yeah. going to connect to a public Wi-Fi, you need to be on a VPN because... Yeah, because you can't even guarantee that you're actually on the proper Wi-Fi. Because some of these restaurants, they don't properly name their SSIDs, and then somebody could set up a Wi-Fi hotspot name it Man like something that looks a little bit more obvious and then they own everybody that connects to it you know and i have noted that taco bell wi-fi does not permit vpns it will not it will block any content that isn't going direct from them to your computer um now, there's ways around that, that. Uh, is that commercial vpns or is that any vpns Oh yeah, because I've ways seen places that. that block by protocol, um, but there's ways around that. Um, yeah. The easiest way for that would be Wireshark, but if they're if they're blocking by like uh, IP, then you use your home VPN. But even if you can't do that, there's still ways around that, and that's um, I would use something like SSH forwarding and uh, forward port 80 from my home computer, and then everything is going over SSH to my home computer. And everything that um, I'm doing on the internet, at least, is protected. Now, that still doesn't protect 
the rest of your system, but that at least protects anything that you're uh, looking at online. Correct. Uh, next up, Linux kernel team has sorted Retbleed chip flaw. And this is from the register. Linux kernel developers have addressed the Retbleed speculative execution bug in older Intel and AMD silicon. But the fix wasn't straightforward. So Emperor Penguin's Linus Torvalds has delayed delivery of next version by a week. And we quote, when we've had one of these or one of those embargoed hardware issues pending, the patches didn't get the open development and then as a result missed all the usual sanity checking by all the automate automation builds and test infrastructures we have. Uh, Torvalds wrote in a post. So there you go. Because so wasn't we've there got a work around, but we haven't finished testing it yet. Because I think they've been quick to put mitigations in the kernel before that they've ended up pulling back out because it just the reality was that it wasn't worth the uh, sacrifice in um, performance for what ended up being a uh, or the fix caused more access problems. problem. Yeah. Yeah, and if anyone remembers, we were, Linus was not too happy about having to do this on behalf of the hardware manufacturers. Right, yeah. Well, while we're talking about passing trust, we are all trusting Linus to do the right thing. We always are, yeah. What you got, Moss? New Linux malware framework lets attackers install rootkit on targeted systems. From the hackernews.com. A never-before-seen Linux malware has been dubbed a Swiss Army knife for its modular architecture and its capability to install rootkits. This previously undetected Linux threat, called Lightning Framework by Intezer, is equipped with a plethora of features making it one of the most intricate frameworks developed for targeting Linux systems. The framework has both passive and active capabilities for communication with the threat actor, including opening up SSH on an infected machine and a polymorphic malleable command and control configuration, it is a researcher Ryan Robinson said in a new report published today. Central to the malware is a downloader, KBioset, and a core, KKDM Flush, module, the former of which is engineered to retrieve at least seven different plugins from a remote server that are subsequently invoked by the core component. In addition, the downloader is also responsible for establishing the persistence of the framework's main module. Quote, the main function of the downloader module is to fetch other components and execute the core module, end quote, Robinson noted. Are the Swiss going to sue for the use of their knife? <laughs> that was a doozy right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. New, yeah. It does sound interesting. I'd like to hear more about the framework itself. I know. There's I get, a link in the show notes. I I do. Should cover that in that innard section you were planning on doing, Bill. Hmm. What today or next next oh, week? Our our backup one, which we'll use for another occasion, since you've already done yeah. some of the research. Well, I started messing around with Kali, and uh, I had never I had downloaded it like ten years ago and installed it, and um, it's been almost had, that long for me. It's I had underestimated how much there is to learn about those well, pen testing, and especially Kali. There's so much stuff on there. Metasploit and Armitage kind of made it 
really simple there for anybody to be a script kitty. But um, that has fallen by the wayside, and I guess there hasn't been an update in a couple of years now. One cool thing about it is there's there's direct links in the start menu. It's based on XFCE, by the way, their flagship version. And they've got direct links to, like, learning resources. That's awesome. I will have to, to reinstall. Yeah. Go with the, if you've got the disk space, I went ahead and made a 40 gig KVM um, and installed the everything version because you got three options for installing and uh, the everything gives you all of the software. There you go. Yeah. I've got one of those upstairs. Yeah. That's um, what I'll end up doing. But uh, it, like I said, it's, I don't even know if I'll be ready by the next show to completely get into it. We ought to we ought to make that a series, maybe four or five episodes long of going through these. Well, we were going to do that with licensing, and then we ended up not doing it. Hmm. Now we might. We, that's another. Well, uh, we covered everything. We, we did cover a lot with that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't on that show. Did you guys give like examples of software with each? Uh, I don't think we gave examples, but we really we really went in depth on um, a couple of the major ones, and then we discussed a lot of the minor ones and the variations because there are minor variations to just about everything. Well, uh, yeah, especially the the uh, GPO. Well, the GPL. I was going to say the more um, permissive licenses. The there's very uh, nuanced differences between the MITs and the and we covered Apaches all that, and that. Go well, listen to the show. Yeah, go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I I did. I'm just saying there's there's examples of why certain software packages might want to choose one option over it over the other though. Anyway. Um, Mostly probably just based on what they're familiar with or what they forked off of. Right. Anybody drop else get a any? marker. <laughs> Let's drop a marker. I just learned how to drop markers on Audacity, and I'm I'm like doing it like a madman. That way I can find places on it. All right. Moving on to our bi-weekly wanderings. Uh, Tom, we've got yours first on here. Do you want to? Do you want to go into what you've been? Yeah, for the last two weeks, I've been essentially close to off grid as far as channel work. So if I haven't pushed out as many things, and you know, sorry to my clients as well because I haven't gotten pretty much any client work done. Um, but uh, two weeks ago, I was actually at a camp. I was teaching a week long course in nutrition, um, and uh, did that, which pretty much takes 100% of your time. I had no spare time for anything. And then after that, I got off that. I had one day to turn around and go to the other end of the state of Pennsylvania, and I went up to a writer's conference. And uh, when I do the writer's conferences and things, um, sometimes I am I go and I'll listen to all the different people and I'll think about what FOSS tools can you do to accomplish these. You know, you go to these things and everyone's like, oh, be on Facebook and Microsoft Word and you know, all these things. I'm like, yeah, I don't use any of that. <laughs> And so and still remotely successful in writing. So um, what many people may not know is I actually have another YouTube channel that is called Writing Done Right. We just crossed a thousand subscribers over there. And I literally teach people how to do the beginnings from the very first starting of your manuscripts all the way to print and production entirely using free and open source software. Um, so 
I was talking to some professional editors. I had some of them send me some of their their edit samples so I can test, can you do these things in FOSS tools on Linux? Um, so the various tools that I saw that, um, obviously I use a lot of LibreOffice, OnlyOffice is coming down the pipeline. So we did some uh, edit tests in OnlyOffice. Um, I use uh, PHP list videos are huge on my channel. Um, this is an open source self-hosted uh, newsletter program that you can run and self-host on your own system. Uh, Trillium Notes is one I've not played around with yet, but um, this is tied into uh, Notion.so, which one of the people I was talking to up there uses it for all their market research for books. And I'm like, that sounds fascinating, but I don't really want to create an account on somebody else's server. And Trillium Notes is supposed to be pretty much an exact one-for-one open-source self-hostable option. So I'm going to be looking at that soon. And of course, I use GIMP and Sigil or two other ones that I use, all in the Linux community, all FOSS community stuff. All will help you produce and publish your books. So that's what I do over there. And have you so I've been working out? on that. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, have you checked out uh, Ghost? Uh, Ghost. That's uh, is that the uh, web uh, web development platform? Or no, I think um, something else. It's no, for okay. new media creators to publish, share, and grow. Um, basically, uh, like the Docker version, it, it it's just a great way. It's a self hosted server where you can. Um, blog style posts really of your own so it's a it's great for like journaling and things like oh, that oh yeah yeah that's the yeah it's like a, a self-hosted blogger type platform yeah. um i've not looked at it a lot um I'm going to I'd like to for. have a look at it it's not something i've had to do because you know i've been doing professional web development for 15 years and so it's something i looked at once as a nah what i have right now works but i want to have a look at it i think it's compelling for people looking for those types of things for sure but of course all that's in addition to the switch to linux site uh which we're getting back to doing some some changes and and edits and stuff uh in the next next few months i'll be talking about some of those but those are my wonders how long have you been doing switch to linux um, I believe the channel first, like I first put the first videos in an unlisted mode, July of 16, I think. And I think I made the first videos publicly viewable in October of 2016. So we are, what would that make us the sixth year on Switch to Linux? Bill, what have you well, been up to? Well, well, first off, nobody respects your uh, desire to use all FOSS software to get the job done more than me. When I started my my other podcast that I do with a couple of friends of mine called Three Fat Truckers, we I was firmly uh, decided to run that show from top to bottom using nothing but FOSS software, and that's including this this BDO Ninja. And uh, well, we started we tried to use uh, Jitsi. Uh, you got your limitations with that, um, but all all of our stuff is stored on Nextcloud, you know. So I I really really uh, respect anybody that tries to get the job done with with FOSS software. And when it comes mm -hmm. to things that yeah, because everybody's heard of Microsoft Office and stuff like that. And when you try to tell people about any kind of alternative, you know, they kind of class over. Until you show it to them, and you and you and you show them that well, this does everything that I can that I'm aware of that most people that mm -hmm. use 
Word. Or... Well, not only that, but LibreOffice actually is better than Word and that with Microsoft Word, as far as I know, you cannot print your book and send it to the printer. With LibreOffice, you can. Everyone else has to take your book out of Office and export it into InDesign and do all the design and interior cover designs inside of InDesign and then send that to the publisher. All of my books are completely start to finish LibreOffice. Um, we use language tool as an open source um, grammar checker and things like that. If you actually open up any of my books and look at the bottom of the copyright page, we do a call out. Every piece of software in the FOSS community that I've used to publish that particular book is listed in the uh, copyright page at the back. Because, I mean, even if it's fonts, I don't have to do that um, because of licensing. I do not have to. But I want to give deep respect to all of the people who put it all together and allowed me to use it uh, without forcing me to buy it. Um, of course, I want to give back to all those communities as much as I possibly can. Uh, but there are times you are, as <laughs> as we've said, too broke to afford it. And what do you say if you are too broke to afford InDesign and you have a book to print? <laughs> you know, yeah. LibreOffice well, can do that. Well, this would be great for the innards. Why don't we uh, move on and get cover all this stuff back in innards? So, okay, yeah. Um, for my part. Work has been crazy, to be sure. Uh, we have a serious... For anybody that doesn't know, if there's anything that you can't find in the store, that's because there is a driver shortage, and it is not likely to go away anytime soon. Um, we're, uh, so not last week, but the week before, immediately after our last show, um, that week started with a trip out to Rome, New York, followed by two trips from Fort Wayne out to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and back. And then ended with uh, a trip out to, I wrote Pittsburgh and back, but it's actually Brackenridge, which is a, one of the boroughs on the east side of Pittsburgh, right on the Allegheny River. And that basically kept me out the entire duration of the week um, until I think I got back at about 2.30 in the afternoon Friday, or Saturday, that is, I'm sorry. Because I had told the guys that I wasn't going to be at our... Uh, our Saturday roundtable, and then I ended up showing up at the last minute. So that was, it is what it is. You never. <laughs> well, I honestly didn't think I was going to make it back in time at all. But I, you know, if it was at all possible, then I was going to be on there. Um, yeah, like I said, this all took from early Monday morning until midday Saturday. The next week was slightly less labor intensive though not a heck of a lot. I started the week out with a trip to Denver, Pennsylvania. Now, that's a small town kind of right between uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia. And uh, I took a load of copper out there and then came back to Fort Wayne and then took a box out to Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And came, Cape Girardeau is like right on the Mississippi River, just, I don't know, half hour north of uh, Sykeston, Missouri. Came back, grabbed a, another van trailer, and took that out to Culloden, West Virginia, which is kind of halfway between Huntington and uh, uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And I got back 5 o'clock on Friday. Um... So that was a less intense, although that probably sounds like a lot. That's actually not near as much as the week before. Um, okay, that's it, Moss. You get read only. 
Uh, the only tech thing I was forced to do was once again replace the screen on that HP Omen that I use upstairs in the living room. On the last episode of Mintcast, I described how I was able to gleefully replace the 4K screen with a 1080p screen. A 4K on a 15-inch laptop is just ridiculous. I'm sorry. I, I, I understand the gamers love the 4K, but it is just... Unless you unless you use scaling, which Plasma screws up the proportions of the dialog boxes and everything, uh, which is what I'm running up there, um, you end up with a less than perfect... You end up, like, splitting pixels and things like that well, when me, you do the scaling. Let me ask a couple of questions right here. Um, can't you adjust the resolution lower? Okay, I'm going to get to that. Um the 1080p screen gave me a more sharp resolution, a, a sharper render of all the fonts and everything at 1080p with 100% scaling. Okay. Now, yes, I can put the 4K, which is what I ended up doing. I put the 4K screen back in. I'll get to why in a second. But the uh, the problem is the boot screen, the grub screen, because you have the choice with the grub screen. you got the choice between the highest resolution and three or four lesser resolutions and none of those lesser resolutions are widescreen they're all they're all four three so if you use a custom theme on your grub then it stretches all your your fonts and it just looks to me kind of crappy so bill yeah have you, try, have you tried adjusting that in grub customizer because it has a good you, scaler you can, for that correct but if, well, you, if you're just using a regular Grub screen, you can adjust it in Grub Customizer. You can adjust the size of the fonts. If you was using a custom theme where it's got the fonts as part of the theme file, then you would have to go into that theme and build a new font yourself, which is, you know, that's a pain in the butt. What I ended up doing, though, is going back to just a regular Grub uh, screen and changing the size of the fonts and then just leaving it the way it is. But uh, that that was the reason because you you run a command from the Grub terminal, the the command execution from Grub, and you can run a command called video info, and that gives you a list of the available resolutions that Grub will render in. And you basically, on that particular machine, you had a choice between the 4K and then like uh, 1024 by 768 and a couple others that were that were a uh, 4.3, which you, you know, would make them big enough to read, but they'd be stretched. So that was the reason I wanted to go with a, a 1080p screen. But at any rate, I had to take it back out because... Uh, beginning of the week last week, I'm using that machine. I had put the 1080p screen in it, and I had to replace the the wire that goes from the the uh, motherboard to the screen because the 1080p screen required a 30-pin plug, and I think the 4K screens have a 45-pin, something like that. So I had to order a wire for it, and I hooked it up, and I get it working just great. And then a day later, I'm sitting there using this thing, and smoke starts coming from behind the bezel. <laughs> so, you know, I go into a kind of a strange denial <laughs> where I'm like, no, I'm not seeing that. <laughs> 
and I kind of like brush it away thinking maybe I don't know I don't know what I was thinking but I, but I kind of like fanned it and it went away and then about a minute later the uh, screen flickered and then went out completely and that's when I decided the well magic smoke is telling you something Bill I don't know why it did that because I had ran the wire through the little I mean you got to run laptops or really something you got to run that wire through a tiny little channel up through the hinge of the monitor and then up into the bezel and then it wraps around a couple of things and it's got one wire that wraps up to the top and plugs into a thing and then the other wire plugs into the back of the screen and right there where it kind of makes a bend and go up into the back of the screen that's where it smoked out melted took some of the plastic inside the bezel out with it so that had to be kind of like coaxed out pried up and then i took a little sanding thing and made that smooth again so i could put the old wire back in i don't know what i don't know what caused that but now i tried to put that screen into another machine and the screen short caused that i mean well duh you didn't think it was a long did you Ha <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know if there was something going on in that wire. That wire was frayed somehow and it caused a short or if uh if, if that you're saying it happened just like right in the joint of the bezel, then it was probably when you ran it through, it got pinched when you closed it and opened it. Gosh. Potentially. <sighs> yeah, I suppose. And I don't know, that might have been an a used wire too because i bought that off of ebay about a year ago and it's just been sitting on a shelf it's better that Could, the wire burned than the boards burned yeah but i think that screen was rendered unusable because i tried to put that in my that red hp that i take on the road because it's got a it's got a 1366 by 768 screen in it which i don't really like moss likes those screens well, but i don't it, care much for okay, them okay then it's better that the screen fried than the motherboard on the laptop fried oh yeah yeah they're that's obvious did, did you check if the motherboard on that computer is capable of actually running that because not all just because you have a cable that will convert one to the other does not mean that they will actually work meaning that it was putting too much juice out to it and the wire couldn't yeah, handle like, the... Yeah, like I have um, I have one of my Dell computers runs a th- uh, 1366 and it is completely compatible with a 1080p if I want to put one in there. I would need to get a new wire, but the system is capable of running it. Not all computers are capable of running a different type of screen than it was installed in it by default. It's just the one I have is, is a modular build computer, so it can support multiple different things. Well, I'm not going to throw the screen away until I, if I decide to put it back in that, try, try again to put it in that omen upstairs. I, uh. It's just a bad omen. Gosh. Never a dull moment, kids. That's my joke. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, you fit right in. I remember if that was Joe or Moss. (laughs) Those omens get a bad rap, but I, I've, I've had good luck with Linux on those. My daughter's got one, and I've got one. The one I've got's got the i7 with the GTX well, NVIDIA card in it, which I don't use for anything. Those HP Omens have good numbers, and they're low cost, but they're very um, cookie cutter. They're kind of the low end gaming machines. I, I'd, yeah. I'd still love to have one. It ain't don't much get me to wrong, look at. But um, yeah, 
I've heard that they have thermal issues and, and some other compatibility issues, but all in all, it's a great starter gaming laptop. Yeah. I've been, the one I've got I've used for, I mean, it's a it's a beast power-wise for a laptop, and it's got 32 gigs of RAM in it, and the i7, almost, almost 4 gigahertz clock speed on that thing with eight cores so i mean it does everything that i that i need it to do and it's got the nvme drive in it my son's got a acer gaming laptop that's got two nvme nvme drives in it just a beast i i like the but the anyway size but that's just me yeah if you got if you got two or three grand i mean if you got like apple money to drop on a not with the msi laptop not with the msi's the the MSIs are not expensive? The, no, no. I've even recommended uh, one to my cousin because it was that proper balance between uh, price and performance. Um, like, well, I got mine used and it's it's got a, a um, what is it, a GTX um, 9, 950 in it. So it's older. Yeah. I only paid like 400 bucks for it. So Yeah, see... So most all of my machines i bought used at pawn shops and that because those people don't know what they got uh when i bought it the reason the person was selling it was because it had a bad hard drive and that's not a hard fix that is so (laughs) non-issue i've got drawers full of hard drives to slap in these things yeah so anyway that's that was the that was the limit to my experience in the last two weeks is just work and dealing with that omen. But, uh, oh, I don't know. What do you got going on, Moss? Okay, no collie, huh? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I did. Well, I mentioned that before. That's why I didn't say it again. Oh, okay. I, I it got it installed on a KVM. And like I said, we're going to start a series next week talking about pen, tra- pen testing distributions. I've got a long way to go with that. So, I mean, there's not really much to be said about it right now other than it's far bigger than I thought. And I don't think I'm going to even scratch the surface as to all the things that you can do with those. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we're going to start with Kali. Uh, Moss is going to do a section on pen two. Should we? Yeah, uh, right. It's not a pen testing, but should we also cover tails? Have Moss cover tails. And then um, I'll, I'll I'll pick another tool. But I if I cover my cat's tails, they won't be happy with me. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. All right, all right. You don't want to talk, so it's my turn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've you know me. Couple, yeah, well, I've installed a couple of distros on my laptops, the latest Neon and Makulu Shift, and still have another couple, Zorin 16.1 and Ubuntu Mate 22.04, waiting for something better to replace them with. I also inspected a couple of others via LiveDisk, which didn't fit me. That included Pen2, and that included eLive. I referred those to others on the, this team or the distro hoppers team. Of course, all my machines feature Mint 20.3, and 60% of them also feature Bode 6. I just put a lot of partitions out on on the machines that I'm playing with the most. I will probably be reviewing Makulu Linux Shift next episode of DistroHoppers. It functions a lot like Zorin, but has some unique features. 
Shift literally features several complete desktops selected by opening the Desktop Manager, selecting the desktop, and waiting for it to load. On my machine, that's five to eight seconds, with no need to even log out. New themes, wallpapers, etc. with each desktop. One or two appear to be emulations. For instance, Plasma appears to actually be Cinnamon modified to look like Plasma, and you don't get the KDE tools with it. You get eight desktops for free, and eight more if you send them 30 bucks as a one-time donation, and for that money, they throw in the pro version of their gaming distro, Makulu Game R. Um, on to other things, it looks like the school year starts August 3rd. I'm looking forward to the extra money and hopefully open minds, as well as the hope of sufficient stamina and spoons to continue throughout through the year. I haven't finished a year yet, but I've worked some of the last two years. And Joe tells me my teeth are on the way, should be here tomorrow. I am still toothless today, that's why I'm lisping so much. He also sent some other goodies, and something I accidentally sent him that I shouldn't have. <laughs> and that leads into Joe, unless we're going to do book Get your mind first. out of the gutter. <laughs> what gutter? Oh, you said uh, sent him something I shouldn't have. I could just hear everybody listening on YouTube going, hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was a power supply for a dock for my Lenovo's. <laughs> All well, right. If you want to cover Take books, it, I'll gladly talk about books all day long. You know that. <laughs> but I've managed. To, I, I found out I've been uh, tr uh, trailing on the Temeraire series. They just published the ninth and final book, and I found that I haven't read seven or eight yet. <laughs> I have to look back at that series again. I think I got bored about three quarters of the way through and just stopped. Well, I started reading it to my wife, and uh, in the middle of book one, we all of a sudden got a new Demon Squad book, and uh, poof, we were off on Demon Squad again. And I don't think we ever got back to it, and I think now that book well, is there's, in storage. There's, there's, there's a new Demon Squad book? I'll have to check that out, too. No, no, no. There, It, it was a long time ago. Okay, okay. It's that long ago. Okay. And we've been doing all the Dresden cycle in the oh, middle of that. Oh, there's a lot of Dresden of books. Okay. Well, honestly, I, I haven't done a lot over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's been entirely too hot to get anything done here. Um, I tried to record some videos for YouTube, but my phone that I was using for a camera overheated halfway through and no such luck. But I've had some stress going on in my life and I really wanted to get some projects done because I find it therapeutic. Plus, there was a half done project right in front of me at the time. Um, one thing I did notice is that in like previous videos, I was able to keep recording and switch back and forth between the front and rear camera on my phone. So I could do everything in fewer takes. Um, but I guess with uh, one of the recent updates, that functionality went away and I now need to stop recording before I can switch from the front camera to the back camera. What it means is, is I'm going to end up going back to using OBS and do my recording using two cameras and switching between scenes in OBS because you can set that up as a hotkey and just click and switch back and forth between camera views while still keeping both cameras in the shot, just making one the main focus and the other one down in the corner and back and forth. I finished up a couple of simple projects. Um, one of my uh, homemade Bluetooth adapters had an issue with the 3.5 millimeter jack um, <clears throat> and needed to be replaced, so I decided to give it a little upgrade. I switched it to a flush-mounted four-pole jack instead of the uh, previous wire jack that I had on there um, that made it look like a squeeze gun because it would stick out like that far, like an inch and a half, two inches. Um, <clears throat> 
I even wired to where the mic used to be on the mainboard, and I was pr pleasantly surprised with how well that worked with this device. Um, <clears throat> this was uh, previously a Sony uh, XB650BT uh, headset, uh, but I like the size that it ended up being after moving all the components over to one side and wiring on a 3.5 millimeter jack. And here, uh, let me just turn that on real quick for you so you can see it working. I don't know if you can, nope, that's too bad. There we go. Yeah, I can see that, yep, cool. Yep, okay, um, uh, the only issue that I have with this device is that um, it, it will not charge and be able to use it at the same time. Um, I think that's the same with the other one that I made, which is a whole lot bulkier. It's like twice the size. Um, the next one that I do will probably be, uh, I'm, I'm going to take a completely ruined pair of Hesh 3s. Uh, and they do allow for charging while in use. Um, the only problem that I have with that is that I've yet to find a pair of Hesh 3s that I can't repair back to usability. They are not the greatest headphones ever, but as long as you have access to a 3D printer, it seems like you can keep them going forever. One may get sacrificed anyway. I'm still working on my third iteration of the Bluetooth mod devices that I'm making. Um, this one should lose the casing entirely and be smaller while still having a larger battery. Um, I have been using the second one, which is this one that I'm wearing right now, um, quite a lot. The sound quality is good and the battery life is a couple of days. And yes, this does have the MMCX mod on it. Now, I tried replacing switches on one of them last night, and I did okay on the first switch, but I really messed up on the second one and pulled off the pad on one side, and there's probably no way you're really going to be able to see all that. Um, and uh, I was able to, to fix that issue with pulling off the pad there on the far right-hand side. Uh, Too close to get a good focus, Yeah, Joe. it's so tiny. But anyways... Um, I had pulled off the pad and I had fixed that, but I guess I, uh, used too much heat and now the thing won't turn on at all. These are very low cost devices, like $3 and I don't mind losing one. And I think I learned a lot working on it. If I get another one that breaks, um, then I may try to swap components on the board until one of them works. Also want to mention that there are three buttons and the third one was going to be the hard one. It'll be good to use for measuring so that I can get started on the 3D print design in Tinkercad. Um, and it's something I can work on in small increments whenever I'm bored or have a little bit of time. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll get that all done and put together in the next couple of weeks. It's just going to be a bit more difficult. And I don't know if I want to continue on with switching out the switches or if I want to 3D print a new way to push down the, the buttons that are already there. Now, um, moving on from that, I picked up a 1GX1 Pro with a bloated battery for a very good price. This has um, an i5 10th gen processor. It's a little seven inch like laptop. Um, I have ordered a new battery for it, but it'll take like a month to get here. Um, I have hooked it up without a battery and it will turn on, but it will not stay on for long. I'm assuming 
that once it gets to a certain point after the boot process, there's a heavy draw and that's too much for the power coming through the cord. Um, and I, so it's probably an issue with not having the battery there and it could also be an issue with overheating, but it's a bit hard to diagnose that in the heat. Um, now the battery was so bloated that the frame had come apart and I was a bit concerned with it being bent out of shape. And I was worried that, you know, maybe the main board was bent, but with where the main board is, that actually wasn't a problem. And once I removed the old battery, the, um, frame mostly went back into shape. There are uh, two of screw posts that are broken. They're the center ones in the front and the back. Um, but it shouldn't be too much of a problem. The, the four corners are still fine. I'm hoping that the battery is the only issue, but it, yeah, it has the potential for overheating from something else. Something had to cause that battery to bloat in the first place. Um, I need, might need to take it apart again and make sure the fans are clean and the thermal paste is done correctly. I've seen teardowns of these and it turns out that from the manufacturer, they do a really terrible job with the thermal paste. Um, okay. Now I haven't been able to find a lot of documentation specifically on this version. It is the older version because there is an i7 11th gen version that's out and there is a little bit of teardowns floating around with that, but still not quite certain, um, on the one that I have, uh, I've seen enough that I could take it apart and put it back together if I needed to, but not enough to like, you know, know how the circuitry works. Now my Dell XPS 13 laptop, I still have not tracked down the issue with the battery, but it does work well enough while plugged in. Um, I replaced the Ubuntu distro that was on it with mint. And then I reset up all my applications. I'm still debating with myself uh, what to do next to isolate the problems to see if it's the batteries that I've ordered. I mean, I've ordered several replacement batteries and none of them have worked. Or if it's the board itself. Uh, there's, I could spend about $160 on eBay if I wanted to and order something with a messed up screen that has like an i7 processor that's the exact same size board and that would tell me but that that kind of feels like a bit of a cheat because then I could you know move the batteries onto that one and see what happens and move the board over to the good screen and hey I have a working system so yeah I, I I'm not sure what do you guys think you got it going on with the hardware, Joe, that's for sure. Think? You are requiring us to think? Think, yeah. yeah once in a while. Yeah, I needed to I need a I need to reboot. <laughs> I, turn it off, turn it back on again. I like playing with hardware. I mean I play with software all day at work and it's all other people's software and then uh, so What a nightmare. Yeah. So I go home and I, I like to play with hardware. Yeah. Well, and you are definitely good at it. Uh, I wouldn't say you should that. Have just, well, I mean, you could probably... Do you have a camera that you can point directly down that works good um, for... My, my uh, Note um, 10 Plus has a really, really good camera, and it does yeah. really close up really well. So I'll, I'll use that, and then what I'll do, since I'll be using two cameras, is I'll take this webcam that I have in here out there and I will set it up. And like I said, I'll, I'll use OBS to do picture in picture and I'll, I'll just switch the focus between the two cameras. One being 
large and the other one being small down in the corner and then um, hot key it back and forth. And yeah, I, you'll get a really close up view of what I'm working on. And sometimes there's focus issues, but not usually. And, and if you want to see somebody really good with hardware, I did invite the crowd from um, the coder on YouTube from their discord channel over here to watch us today that that's all the uh chatter you've been seeing on the uh, youtube channel so oh, like okay. a lot of those guys have their own channels or they do a lot of their own work on on hardware and the coder really good with working on um like playstations xboxes you name it um it, it's fun to watch him work on that type of thing and I have um, dropped links and checked this out for the coder before. So I don't know if I want to uh, set that up again this time or just recommend listening to some old shows. I don't see a problem with that. Any, anyway, if nobody has anything else, we'll move on to our Linux innards. You forgot Josh. Oh, you got Josh. Did I? Josh, what did you know? Oh, Josh, I'm sorry. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had scrolled down when I was listening to Joe, and I just completely skipped ah, over Josh. Skip I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. You ain't getting yeah, out that easy. It. Okay. Well, I Gosh. guess I got to talk then. Well, I guess I will be doing the editing on this show so <laughs> I can get rid of all my embarrassing moments. Oh, it's fine. Um, yeah, anyway, it's uh, good to be back on Mintcast after a period of absence. I've certainly missed being here. Hope I can make it uh, Welcome more back, frequently. Josh. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys. Um, not dissimilar to Joe's situation, California has been blazing hot outside like literally on fire if you know about the whole yosemite situation up there so uh, most of what i've been up to has been indoor oriented so uh, i purchased a watch repair kit and watch press from amazon and started doing the battery replacements for a just a bunch of dead watches in the house uh, i've got more to go actually the parts are small and can be fiddly especially if you have big old ham fingers like i have but I've done uh, five of them so far without a failure. Uh, maybe a couple scratches on the back, but uh, not a failure. Congratulations. I mean, <laughs> five of them without a failure. That, that Yeah, I mean, for someone who doesn't know what they're doing, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's worked out. So the tools, having the proper tools is really the, the key there because trying to wrench those things open with, like, screwdrivers and stuff, that's, that's all bad. So um, I've also taken up a... Uh, reading a good bit more recently i'm still working on robert jordan's yeah the world that's a very long and dedicated read it's 800 love that whole series yeah it's 800 plus pages of fine print so i had to run down to my local uh dollar tree and pick up some uh, magnifiers <laughs> to get through this one but i'm close to finishing it and after that i am going to read half my life and let me see if i can get this up there by our guest today, Tom, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one, and also uh, I want to pick up Synaptergy next, so uh, really looking forward to reading those. And uh, Well, cool. I hope you enjoy them. Let me know. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. I will do. And I have a couple of classic westerns also lined up, too, that I picked up at the local used bookstore, so uh, yeah, got a lot of reading ahead, and thanks to... Uh, 
Joe, I also have some uh, audiobooks to go through, <laughs> just one or two. Just a couple. Yeah. Uh, as far as tech is concerned, I haven't done a whole lot since the last episode I was on. I did purchase a new set of headphones, which are the ones I'm wearing here, the Philips SHP 9600s. Uh, these are supposed to be the next iteration of the legendary 9500s, which I also own. Um, but the sound pro profile is so different that I don't really consider them like the next version of the 9500s. Um, those are very popular, you know, for under $100 for people that are kind of on a, that want to be audiophiles like myself, but you know, it's that whole champagne taste beer budget. But, uh, yeah, they're kind of like a standalone. They, they sound very different. But uh, I've been pleased with them. They fixed a lot of the issues that the 9500s did have, such as the clamping force being too loose and the lack of uh, bass in them. So, yeah, they've been good. I'm more like store brand soda budget. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, that's then you'll have like to tell it. me what you think of those Sennheisers. Uh-oh. <laughs> I will once I get them. Yeah, those are usually pretty, uh, pretty good. Uh... I also purchased a new Android phone, and it went wah, wah. Uh, It's my first brand new unit since I bought my Nexus 5 back at the beginning of 2014. I went with uh, OnePlus Nord N25 G. Uh, I just on, talked about that phone. Oh man, is it good? It, you know, it's uh, for sub three hundred dollars. The screen <sighs> is awesome. The camera is garbage. You didn't like the camera? Camera is. <laughs> well, I don't take pictures, so or very rarely, so I don't really. But that factor screen that in. is beautiful. Ninety hertz refresh rate. Uh, this one's sixty. Hmm. Yeah, um, they kind of had to cut a couple corners to get it in. It, I believe, T-Mobile listed it two eighty-two plus tax on their website. So there's. I got it for free. You did because. I did. I traded in an S3 for it. Uh, T-Mobile has this deal where you can take in any old phone as long as it's working and the screen's not cracked, and hand it to them, and they will hand you a, a, a Nord. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. That would have been a good route to go. Sweet! I have dozens of phones laying around. <laughs> right? No, will. Uh, yeah. Drawers <laughs> full at this point. Yeah. yeah, Tom, but you and I are using the cheap phone service, so it wouldn't help to go to T-Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of grandfathered in on their um, the uh, unlimited plan for the family, and I think I pay like 130 or $40 a month for four lines. So with all unlimited, it's the only reason I stick with them. Um, anyway, yeah, I've been using it for a couple months now, and I have to say it's surpassed my expectations for a sub-$300 phone. Uh, performance and battery life really good uh, I was able to put my SD card in it and carry my local music library with no issue and playback through uh, my wired buds has been excellent as well so um, that's the most important part for me I'm pleased with the purchase overall but do hope for the day that we have a viable Linux phone as a replacement sorry Ubuntu touch I tried but yeah uh, with the shutdown of the 3G networks, we're out of luck there because they don't support LTE. Uh, the, the Pine phone does not support uh, VOLTE? I think it does, but you have to hop over onto like Mobian um, 
some of those specific other ones. Distros. Yeah, and okay, so so it's specific distros. Okay. Yeah, they're shaky. I was not a huge fan of Ubuntu Touch when I tried it on the the tablet. I don't know if the phone was any better or not. But. Yeah, it was probably the most mature, I think, of all the ones that I tried. I mean, I didn't go through all of them. There's quite a few. Um, the only one that I've really liked the operating system for the Pine Phone has been Manjaro with Plasma. Yeah, that was probably second best, I think. I was not a fan of Fosh. I think you were neither nope. right to... Yeah. So, it was kind of slow. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I have to give OnePlus kudos on delivering a device that outperformed its price tag. It's a rarity these days, and I recommend it if anyone is in the market for a mid-tier Android device. And... Uh, that's about all I got. So I've heard a lot of chatter that the one, well, the OnePlus is used to be the the go to phone for people that wanted to uh, put custom ROMs on them, and from what I understand, it's kind of they've gotten away from that. It's far more difficult well, now. Well, with their flagship device, especially when it comes to the price to performance, they used to be the people to go to for price to performance and having the um, unlocked bootloader so that you could put whatever you wanted yeah. on there. But there are limitations that come with an unlocked bootloader uh, or um, a non-stock ROM um, when it comes to like Google Pay or um, any of the pay services. Uh, it, if you have a rooted device, they simply don't work. A lot of banks also don't allow it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, rooted is not the same, though, as an unlocked bootloader. So right, no, not but necessarily. That's distinction. Of having an unlocked bootloader is to put a custom ROM on there, and once you put that custom ROM on there, it becomes a problem. Yeah, can't I, you lock I, the I don't bootloader recommend doing anything once? with a phone other than basic communication, anyway. So <laughs> that's where I'm. It's about where I am. I'm at, yep. <laughs> and I've got one of those Note 10 Pluses, just like Joe has, and I can I can verify gleefully that the quality of the camera on that thing is amazing. And it's several iterations behind yeah. uh, what's current, and it's still, maybe, I don't know, I'll probably... Maybe that's why I hate the, uh, the camera so much on the Nord, because, you know, I've got the Note 10 Plus, and yeah, it's awesome. I I want to be more excited about phones, but I'm just not because I just, like well, like Tom said, I, I you know, I do phone things on a phone. I do computer things on a computer but i realize that's not how normal people you know i i, I can normal. get excited about the the new phones but considering the prices i'm, I'm not going to rush out and yeah, try and yeah. pay two thousand dollars for the galaxy z fold 3 good lord yeah, especially i got a friend that's got one of those it's ridiculous yeah. it just stretches the picture sideways and it has a lot of issues with uh certain applications not being able to run at all on it because of the screen size Oh, did you give a, uh, the N20, uh, have you used the simultaneous cameras yet where you can kind of do, I guess you can record video um, from both front and rear at the same time. So if you walk along I, and watch it catch fire <laughs> in your hand. Hopefully Honestly, um, you know, I tried a couple of things to improve the camera quality on it and they really didn't work. And I closed the camera app and I'm probably never going to open it again because that camera really sucks. Maybe you just got a bad one, Joe. Uh, uh, no, other people have said the same thing. But he's also got the Nord N20, and um, I have the Nord N200, so that might also be the oh, difference. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the next step. Um, 
down, I believe, in the... Well, yeah, it's a whole nother zero. Yeah. But you figured and it'd be like 10 times better. <laughs> right, 200's got to be better than 20. Right, you right, bet. no. That's how it always works. Yeah, that that's like my mistake getting a Pixel 3a XL instead of a 3XL. I thought, gee, the A must be the upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> so counterintuitively, I'm hearing the Pixels are the ones you go for now if you're going to do a custom ROM on it. Yes, that and, is the fact, because um, as much as it's Google, they make it easiest to reflash, they make it easiest to unlock, and more ROMs support them than anything else. Yeah. Not only unlock, but relock. I'm running Calyx OS on two of my three. Yeah, only only a few can relock. Calyx can relock. If I'm not mistaken, um, EOS just came out with a major release. They might be able to lock that one now. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. But I remember seeing something, some other phone can also now lock, which was a new feature. But, Is yeah. E on Android 12 yet? That's the reason I, I don't put Calyx know. on instead of E. Yeah, I'd I, rather have E, but my phone was already upgraded to 12, and you brick your phone if you go back. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked. Is that right? Is that how that works? If it if you get 12 on your phone, you can't... Well, it, it depends yeah. on your phone, um, because the, the custom ROM isn't a blank ROM. It overwrites the files for the core Android, uh, Android that's on there. And so whatever you have, if you... If you are on 12, you would have to have a way to roll your phone back to 11. Google phones can do that. I've done it before. Um, I don't know about other models, well, but it doesn't make a you, lot of sense to. But yeah, shouldn't you be able to have something like TWRP on there and like just force or completely wipe it and then force the old kernel on there? Um, again, it, Maybe, it depends on how the phone work. is is put together. the The reason the Googles are better at this is Google has a simple script that you run the phone in ADB, and it will literally overwrite everything and return it to whatever stock version of Android you're calling for that phone. Other manufacturers, to my knowledge, don't have that. Yeah, well, I was reading on Lineage that they said that you really can't uh, put an older kernel on your phone than what you've already got on there. And uh, Calyx had a new version uh, with Android 12 and it's running great on my phone. I showed it to Bill a couple times, showed him the boot. You remember how cool that was? <laughs> yeah, I like that boot screen. It had a cool boot splash. But if E had a been to 12, I would have gone there because uh, if I had E on my phone, I could be using uh, Ubuntu web and have conversions. <laughs> Oh, I guess I didn't mention. Go ahead, Josh. Um, we're we're sidetracking. <laughs> I, I started the process of uh, rooting and roming that um, Amazon device you sent me. I haven't finished yet, but I've I've got it rooted. I don't have it rommed yet. Well, let me know. Well, is that everybody? Okay. Um, all right. Moving on to housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Email us at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, August 7th, 2022. And there's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Next live stream 
will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, July 30th, 2022. And you can, there's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone as well. Uh, for episode 392.5 only, the, the next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, August 13th, 2022. I'm sure I did that wrong. And there's also a link for that to get converted to your time zone. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. To wrap up, Tom, where we where can we uh, find you at again? Well, I have um, switched to Linux. Primarily is on YouTube. We are also on Odyssey, Rumble, and BitChute. Um, we also have um, Writing Done Right for those interested in writing, Our Walk in Christ for those interested in Christian living, and Talks Traveler for those interested in traveling. Those are all available on YouTube, and then you can find links to everything else on those. Excellent. How about you, well, Joe? if you like the sounds of my voice, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on uh, the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. Um, you can send me an email, jb at mintcast.org, or there's a link in the show notes to buy me a coffee. Moss? Great. How about you, Moss? Well, if you like the sound of my voice, which hopefully I'll be back with teeth next episode, I'm on Full Circle <laughs> Weekly News, uh, approximately once a month on Distro Hopper's Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me, and my other information can be found at itsmoss.com. And if you want to email me, you can do that at bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore H on Discord. I'm at WCHauser3 on Twitter, uh, WCHauser3 on Facebook as well. And also check out my, it says new podcast, but we've been around a few months now, uh, Three Fat Truckers, and the uh, website for that is 3ftpodcast.org. Norbert couldn't be here with us today. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of him, you can email him at norbert at mintcast.org. How about you, Josh? You can Josh? email me at jt at mintcast.org. I'm Josh Thacker on Discord and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Norbert and Tony H. for our audio editing. And Bill. And whoever else. And Bill. And Londoner. And I, I've lost track. Uh, well, it says Josh Lowe for the work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. Anit RD for our animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time sinks. Uh, me, I suppose, for hosting the Linode, which runs our website. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the